in the high desert in the great American Southwest. Welcome to Coast to Coast AM. John, welcome to the program. Good to have you with us. You're with us. You're with us. You're with us. Welcome back to Coast to Coast PM, the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. This is a podcast where two brothers analyze the world's largest overnight paranormal radio show, Coast to Coast AM. My name is Paul, and I'm the guy that listens to this inexplicable radio show here with my brother. Hey, it's Chris. I'm the sunny to your share, but with way less disco. There we go. Never disappoints, Chris. It never disappoints. Well, Chris, thank you for jumping on to this this call with me today. Yes. Uh, we we're talking about something that I think is very special to your heart. Okay, what? And I, I made this episode just for you because you've been asking for this topic for a very well, long time. What are we talking about? I, I have to build the anticipation here. Yeah, well, I'm a, uh, I'm it's gonna be relevatory. We are talking about Atlantis today. Oh, Hotlantis, baby. Hotlantis. That's what the kids call it. Very excited. We'll, oh, we'll be man. Jumping into- I'm so <laughs> excited, dude. Are we going to get my uh, pre-civilization going on today, or is this an alien guy? This is a pre-civilization guy. Oh, yeah. Not a hint of aliens yes just for and you know i hate that but it's just for you i know oh i'm so excited so we're talking about plato's atlantis plato's atlantis we will be listening to an interview that george nori did with david edwards in september of 2022 so recent one uh david is an author a self-described historian and also an expert on atlantis uh so we will i've never heard of him Jumping into that, he's very much in the Graham Hancock uh, kind of strain of things, right? He he doesn't want to yeah, do the aliens, doesn't right. want to do the silly stuff. He's like, let's stick yeah. to what we know and what we know is Plato. He wants to know as he wants to know the real Atlantis. He wants to find the real Atlantis with yeah. the real Atlanteans. Right. The real uh, was it the Athenians who they fight? I don't believe the Atlanteans fought anyone, Paul. No, no, they did. They did um we'll 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 review that in our uh in our intro though okay but before we get to my well-crafted intro that i apparently already forgot what's in it we have to jump over to the coast to coast am blog tim time tim time the coast to coast am blog by our lovely our fantastic tim banal fan favorite he's a fan favorite yeah definitely he's we my favorite him. he's my favorite well, today's article from Tim, multiple witnesses in Mexico film puzzling UFO rotating in the night sky. Oh, that's exciting. Very exciting. Love a good UFO sighting in Mexico. And we got some video to go with it, huh? A little bit of video, a little south of the border video. Ooh. Where the text meets the mex, baby. That's, Let's go. That is right. So several individuals in Mexico were left scratching their heads at the sighting of a puzzling UFO that appeared to rotate in the night sky. The curious event reportedly occurred last Wednesday evening in the town of Tequila, which is the name of a town, apparently, and I love That's that. That's the name of a town, baby. <laughs> I wonder what comes from there, Paul. I don't know, but uh, we could probably figure that out with a quick Google. Think yeah. Maybe a little tequila? Maybe tequila. Maybe tequila. So the town of Tequila located in the state of Walisco. 
Ha ha Lisco. Ha oh. Lisco. Dude, I screwed that up so much. You oh, should have my seen God. my yeah. Arkansas ass in AP Spanish in high school, dude. It oh, was so bad. Terrible. It was so All right. bad. At least four groups of people who were out that night spotted the peculiar sight, which resembled a set of glowing lights that seemingly slowly spun in the sky until vanishing into thin air. Oh, this is exciting, man. Pretty cool. By virtue of the event having so many witnesses, it wound up being captured on film from multiple vantage points, which allows for a rather unique perspective on the peculiar aerial anomaly. Do we get to see all the videos? We have all the videos here today, Chris. They all put back to forth. Back to forth? Yeah. Put back to back. Back to back. (laughs) What? Back to back. Paul, sorry. Please. You're making up phrases now. Yeah. Do you think that the aliens stopped at Tequila Jalisco to ensure that they didn't run out of their tequila supply? You know, I would like to believe that. Or maybe they just wanted a quick nip. You know, they don't really understand how human societies work. But they know tequila is a liquor and they're like, there's a town called tequila. That must be where the liquor is. That must be where the liquor is. And then they went to vodka, Russia. Mm-hmm. And then they went to whiskey, Tennessee. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. That's the only cool. way to do it. So as for what it could have been, some skeptical observers hate them, have suggested that the objects could have been the recently launched SpaceX Starlink satellites, which actually spawned UFO reports in both India and Texas early last week and have been the cause of similar confusion in the past. Interesting. Oh, man, I actually kind of want to see this now just to see. Could it be? Yes. Gosh dang Elon Musk, dude, just creating UFO sightings all all the time. The man's making problems for ufologists. Now, the counter to the counter that it was a UFO. Such incidents of Starlink's uh, sightings have usually featured a string of lights in the night sky rather than what appears to be seen over tequila. Other suggestions for the oddity include some sort of drone, a clandestine military craft, and of course, aliens. Aliens. With that in mind, what do you all think people saw Wednesday night over tequila? Share your best guess with the Coast to Coast facebook page a little call, call to action, action there baby Did call to action he's getting good he took an introductory marketing course on youtube i think dude he's killing it right now with the call to action now I chris mean, that's a fairly that's a fairly new thing it is new he has not done a lot of call to actions before so the alliteration it's still there i think he's yeah. reducing it there's less alliteration you gotta have I feel some like. you gotta, you gotta have, have some for the coast to coast AM blog, you you have to have some alliteration. But for, for me in my life, I need yeah. some alliteration. Yeah, so he's, he's reducing the kind of some of those tropes, and he's also increasing the CTAs. Very yeah. important. Very important. For I don't anyone know what that blog. stands. Call that's, to action. That's called action. Call it's to marketing action. lingo. Yeah. Gross. So anyways, all right. I want to see the video now. All right. So Chris, here's the video. And now we will we'll put this on the show link if you want to take a look. Would you describe to me what you're seeing here? I don't really know what I'm seeing here. It's all very, oh, it is multiple bright lights. They're kind of flashing in and out in the sky. It does look to be a Mexican town, though. A lot of wires and stuff. That's pretty interesting. Wow. So, yeah, it's about like six or seven bright lights in the sky, and they kind of twinkle there and then completely disappear. Yeah, what it looks like to me is if it, it looks as if there are lights, uh, you know, 
distributed around a uh, a saucer, and that saucer's rotating. Interesting. That's what this looks like to me. That's what you're seeing. That's what I'm seeing here. It's a rotating saucer sitting in the sky. Yeah, I was definitely going with the Starlink satellites, but I don't know what would make them do that. From what from what I've read, and I haven't been able to find a video of Starlink satellite, but I, I think that the, a Starlink satellite does look something like this, but it usually yeah. doesn't look like it's rotating. So it does it a be... little bit look like rotating. I see what you're saying now. Yeah, it looks and like it, rotation. It's cool that we are getting it from so many different angles. Yeah, and now here's here's the problem, right? Uh, apparently, Starlink was it over tequila that night. <laughs> So, no. yeah, it, it was over no. tequila, so it very likely was Starlink. Oh, what a bummer! I know, but great video. That gosh darn Elon Musk, did, you know, he loves that crap. He does, you he know, does. He sees UFO trending over Jalisco, and he's probably like, Yeah, that was me, that was uh, me, I did uh, that, yeah. Archangel, look what we did. Gotcha. Well, Chris, <laughs> I am Ozymandias. God, I hate that so much. I want you to know that's what he thinks all the time. Every day, every day before he goes to sleep, he just Probably says that what he me. calls his penis. Anyway, Stop. sorry. <laughs> Stop. All right. So to our main episode today, all about Atlantis. George Orr's interview with David Edwards. Now, David Edwards. Retired special agent who has become an armchair historian. Specifically, he has been researching Atlantis. So, David, a just, retired special agent from what? Uh, the U.S. Army. The U.S. What does that mean? So it's like a Green Beret or something. I think so. Yeah. Holy cow! So this is like a serious dude. He was a serious dude, and he retired and was like, "I'm going to start writing books." How does it get into Atlantis? Oh, we'll we'll get there. We got to do the okay. intro. We got to right. do the intro. Okay. okay All right. So David just released his new book called Atlantis Solved: The Final Definitive Proof, which is available now on Amazon for seventeen dollars. It's nice that he solved it. It is nice that he solved it. Also, really cocky book name. Yeah, that solved. Solved it. We're it's, done. No, we've been talking about this for four thousand years. I solved it. So, and we're going to hear why he solved it. Book. <laughs> one book. One book. I solved it. From from his desktop, uh, he was able to solve this. So he has also written uh, quite a few other sci-fi in action books starring the protagonist, Dirk Lasher is the oh, main character. What name, a name. Which Dirk, I loved. You don't see Dirk a whole lot. The only other Dirk I can think of that also comes from fiction, Dirk Diggler from Boogie Nights, Paul. Yes, very accurate. Uh, so I just wanted to call that out because I thought Dirk Lasher was such a fantastic protagonist name for oh, an action series. Sounds like a porn star. Kind of does a little bit. So before we jump into Atlantis, I did put together a quick overview on Atlantis for our uninitiated listeners. I myself, I'll be totally honest, I didn't really know that much about Atlantis before I started researching this. Okay. Yeah, I want to hear what you found so I can critique it. Yeah, and this is an area that you probably know a bit more than me. So I was going based off of what Plato wrote, right? So I didn't read it, but I read the synopsis that other people had. Yeah, dude, let's go real Platonian right now. Yeah, so Atlantis is an allegedly fictional nation that was written about by Plato. Already have a problem. Already have a problem. I used the word allegedly. You said, no, you said fictional. I said allegedly fictional. 
That's awful. Why would you say that? (laughs) It's terrible. All right. I would just take that part out. Atlantis is a nation that was written about by Pluto. Let me, let me, let me fix this. Atlantis is a super duper real place. Thank you. That Plato talked about. Absolutely acceptable. Now in Plato's allegory slash super real history of atlantis yes thank you (laughs) atlantis is a utopian island made up of concentric circles that had abundant resources now plato said that he got the details on atlantis from like a buddy that heard it from the ancient egyptians when he was traveling to egypt and we'll listen to the description of of how that played out i believe it was like an uncle yeah it was like an uncle or something it was it was or someone else's uncle i believe his uncle was solon yeah. Uh, who is also a uh, somewhat mythical Cre- Greek character mm-hmm. who uh, did extensive traveling in ancient Greece and went to Egypt and apparently visited a, um, this is actually all pretty fascinating stuff, visited an ancient temple in Egypt where the priest claimed straight knowledge from a thousand years or something crazy like that. I mean, it was craziness. Graham Hancock believes that these this order of priests existed well into like the Islamic period and were known as the Sabian. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So the the star, 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 star worshipers. Oh, wonderful. I love stars. So in Plato's story, Ancient Athens was his ideal nation and Atlantis was a utopia that ended up having some problems and it was the antagonist, right? They ended up being the bad guy by the end. Interesting. So the story goes that uh, Atlantis attacked Athens and loses a war against them, at which point Atlantis falls out of favor with the gods because of their greediness and their use of supernatural powers and they were sunk to the bottom of the ocean. So it was an allegory for Plato to say like this beautiful like uh, amazing utopic place was destroyed by these bad rulers, but Athens, you know, which is my ideal type of government. Right. This was like why they were able to be, to, to beat them. Right. So if you'd as an allegory, it's the fall of a really cool nation because their leaders were like being total dicks. And if you view it as a true story, it is the tale of a very advanced civilization that seemingly uh, was destroyed due to some sort of natural cataclysm, most likely. So Paul, I would just like to say a little something I would like to say supernatural powers for me equals technology. Yes. And that is a big debate, right? Is it, uh, if it is real, if we were to take the foundation that is real, what, what do we mean by advanced? Uh, what do we mean by supernatural? Is it alien? Is it, you know, kind of BS and they were just like kind of advanced in some stuff, but it was also 10,000 years ago. Like, you know, it's all kind of up for debate in the, the Atlantean uh, circles, I guess. These the Atlanteans were the tribe that first found all the alien technology that had fallen to Earth over millions of years. Is that the is that the lore we're going with today? I just made it up on the top of my head, <laughs> and fair. I love it. That's we're, we're connect. Everything comes back to Bob Lazar. Yeah, is we're what con- we're getting at, dude. I'm telling you, I fell in love with that idea. Yeah. And it, I literally can't stop thinking about it. About they're just all the UFOs are just here from all this tech that is yeah. just fallen, you know, just randomly fallen to Earth over the course of millions of years, being dug up by like you know 
these species that are barely above an ape. Yeah. Well, by the end of today's episode, Chris, we're going to hear from a caller who was there when Atlantis was destroyed. So that's going to be interesting for you, I think, especially with this specific theory. It's I can't be good. wait. Let's go, but, dude. I'm so excited. Before we get there, oh, let's God, there's get... more. No, let's 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 get to our boy David. <laughs> let's go. All right. So, first question, always. How'd you get into this? How'd you get into this? How'd you get into this? How did you get interested in Atlantis? Well, I've always been interested in Atlantis, and um, you know, I'm a, I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. Uh, so, you know, growing up, I grew up in the '70s and '80s, and just like everyone else, I, I read the books. I read, you know, Eric Von Danigan, Fingerprints of the Gods, and I watched all the TV shows. Um, and then Atlantis kind of faded away. And um, about a year ago, I had listened to all the coast to coast AMs that I that I could. I of course had my my subscription, and I listened to the past shows. But I was kind of out of content, so I was flipping around on YouTube. And there's a channel called Bright Insight uh, with this guy, Jimmy Corsetti. And in 2018, he, he claimed that uh, this place in West Africa called the Rishat structure, he, he thought it looked a lot like Atlantis. And I was intrigued by it. So I decided to independently verify it, which kind of resulted in the book. So this it was YouTube's fault, which the number of people, fault. The number of people on YouTube's Coast to Coast fault. that say it was YouTube that got them into the thing that they're into is shocking. It's always YouTube, dude. It's always YouTube's fault. Dude, flat earth, shadow people, like Anything. everything is YouTube. It, makeup people. You know, makeup they're like, people. I just can't stop watching makeup tutorials on YouTube. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know what we need more of, though, is more TikTok conspiracies because there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I learned this recipe on TikTok. I want people to start getting into weird conspiracies on TikTok. I got Absolutely. into Bigfoot because of TikTok. I just want to say one thing about an earlier comment we made. We said this man used to be an army special agent. There is no way this guy was a Green Beret, dude. No way. This guy was like reading French for the army or something. That's that's also very possible. People tend to pad uh, their yeah. resume when special they come on the show. agent. This dude rode a desk and was reading foreign languages. A uh, desert enthusiast type yeah, scenario. Exactly. Exactly. So special agent. All right. Equals so- Green Beret. That was silly. So, All right, so anyways. I, so other than that, I totally missed what the hell he was talking about. He said something about the Rishat structure. Yeah, so he's talking about a structure Go. in the Sahara. All right, okay. so here's let's let's get into that portion because this was pretty interesting. Well, it, so it looks like it's a, a volcanic uh, dome, but it, it is it looks like Atlantis. So so when you look at it, um, and it's in a, a country called Mauritania, uh, and it looks like uh, it has the center island, and then it has the rings of alternating rings of land and water. And at, at the time period they were talking about with Atlantis, which we can get into, uh, it would have been you know a very wet environment, and um, it matches if you read Plato literally as a primary source. Uh, it you know it matches a lot. Um, well, it matches specifically just about everything you said. Isn't the Rishad structure though like geological? Um, yes. Okay. So all right, the Rishad structure for once again, uh, just to give you background on this, is a circular geological structure in the Sahara's Andrar Plateau in northwest Africa. So it is considered an eroded geological dome that is twenty five miles wide and exposes various layers of rock, which makes it look like this big old bowl in the earth with all these circles around it. Right, yeah. And it's uh, it's I, visible from space. I remember people talking about this, but yeah, you could totally see how it was just kind of a random natural formation that's happened mm-hmm. over 
millions of years. And what his argument is, is that nothing in, in Plato's uh, stories say that it was not a natural formation. Oh, what a good answer. That was, I thought it was a very good answer because the thing what is, a this is a answer. bunch of circles around each other. Yeah. And, and you would think an area like that for our ancient forebearers would probably have some real significance. Probably. I mean, uh, this naturally happened. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, it looks crazy. It looks really crazy. Now, it is very hard to see because I also looked at we'll pictures. We'll put the Rishat the structure in the show notes as well for those who want to take a look at it. Yeah, it, it from inside, it's like impossible to tell because it is 25 miles long. But yeah. if you are able to get any sort of height, um, which if you are to get on some of the ridges, it, it's very trippy. And from space, apparently astronauts love looking at this thing. Right. From space. And 25 miles, it's a big city. It's big. Yeah, it's very big. That would be a big city. Yeah. So here's the thing, though, Chris. There's a lot of theories about Atlantis. Right. A lot of people think it's in the Atlantic Ocean. So he's got to address that first and foremost. So Take this there's stat. a line where he says that it was directly outside the uh, Pillars of Heracles, which we know is the Strait of Gibraltar. Um, and we live in a Google Maps world where I think people think they hear that word you know, directly, and they want, it, they want that to mean straight west. Um, so they try and come up with reasons why maybe there was a large continent that disappeared in the middle of the Atlantic. And, and I think that um, uh, th this location in Mauritania uh, solves for all of that and, and provides an answer that not only matches Plato, like, like 99, over 99%, which I, I detail in the book, um, but also unifies all those other places. Now, put a pin in that, because he is trying to create a unifying theory of Atlantis, which we will right. come back to and how he does that exactly. Right. But we need no for right now. Number one, this guy loves Google Earth. Use yeah. a lot of Google Earth all over the place. Big time uh, and Google Earth guy. Yeah, and basically it's like technically this is west of the Strait of Gibraltar. Yeah. Right? It's not like due west from the Strait, but like it right. is west of it. It is west of it. Right. Yeah. So and like how accurate could you be in Plato's time? Yeah, and that's the other thing that this guy talks about, which I, I do kind of like about him, is that he, he makes it very clear that he is not using any, quote, like, secondary sources is what he refers to them as, which is all of the people who say they psychically know where Atlantis is. He says, I go by what Plato says, and I go by what other, like, contemporaries of Plato say. Right. Um, and then I, I tried to find where I thought Atlantis was from there. Right, right, right. I mean, to be fair, the guy who found the city they believe is Troy used a writ like used the Iliad and the Odyssey to help him direct where he thought Troy would be. Yeah. Which is why I kind of like this dude, because it's not complete insanity. Like there right. is, there is something to saying, you know, this guy, we treated this allegory, but maybe something happened that was similar. Like the, the flood in the Bible may not have been the flood of the entire earth, but you know, Mesopotamia could have had a severe flood around that right. time. And it would have seemed like the world was drowning. Yeah. You know, well, like I think most of the world was underwater or mostly underwater. So you can take that crap out of here. Okay. You're right. So I think I, I, I don't totally disagree with his approach is what I'm trying to get at here. Right. I right. think it is a fun thing to do. So number one, like we were saying, Plato says that Atlantis had a lot of high technology. So he also describes what high technology would have meant for 9600 BCE. Right. Are there any remnants, David, of high technology out there? Well, 
George, we got to walk through this a little bit. The, the idea of high technology, let, let's talk about what that means really as we start to build the case for Atlantis actually is and what it actually was. Okay. So when we're talking about advanced, I think we're talking about advanced from a 9600 BCE standpoint. Uh, what Plato tells us is the Atlanteans were good at two things. They, they were good at agriculture, and they were good at organizing themselves, which he really liked. That, that's one of the things Plato did, was try and figure out if the society he lived in had the best form of government um, or if there were better forms. Uh, so when we say advanced, we're talking about um, advanced for, for a Stone Age culture, mm-hmm. and we're talking about the invention and innovation around agriculture. So it's not that they had spaceships and computers. Would have been cool if they had spaceships and computers, but right. But he's making again. He's making some really interesting points, because if they did figure out how to increase yields, and again, you can totally do that with collaborative agriculture, where the mm-hmm. you know, like the Native Americans did it with beans, corns, and squash. Oh yeah, where it's like a synergistic yeah. effects permaculture, yeah, yeah. permaculture. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. so, you know, if they figured out some things around permaculture and irrigation and terracing, and then they did come up with whatever this more effective way of organizing themselves was, you know, maybe they did kind of almost like a semi-democracy where, or, you know, I always think of New Hampshire or Connecticut as being like town halls where the whole town would come together. And then you would elect your representative that would go to the higher version of that. Right. And so maybe they were coming up with things like that. What if human civilization peaked in 9600 BCE? Like what if Atlantis is real and it was actually super dope and it was taken out by something, but that was like the, the pinnacle of our self-organization. Yeah. They were taken out by a flood that just about destroyed the whole entire civilization. What, what, what flood are you talking about now? What? What what do you the, wait? This is 9600 BC. That's around the time of the flood that Graham Hancock's talking about. Oh, okay. That's well, this guy also loves Graham Hancock. Yeah. I thought Graham Hancock was was early. I thought that was like 1400 BC. Uh, well, it would have been like 10,800 is around the year that he typically says. Okay. Um, and he says like plus or minus a couple thousand years. Okay, um, so I guess if he adds in a plus or minus, then it, it it's a yeah, possibility. It's a I know possibility. He, he does make a, a big distinction between what took out Atlantis and the, the flood of Noah, because okay. those timelines are like way different uh, if you do. Yeah, I'm pretty sure 10,800 is when Graham says, which would correspond to around twelve to 13,000 years ago. Okay, okay. So, uh, but going back, all right, so number one, where did we get the number 9600? Let's let's yeah. dig into where that. Do, too. Yeah, where does he t- take that from? Yeah, because he has he has a very specific explanation. Well, so 9600 BCE, and this is um, uh, kind of a, I, I'm not the first to do this math, uh, but basically we look at Solon, who uh, was uh, around nine or six 600 BCE, and he was a, a Greek politician. This was before the Greek classical period. And arguably, Solon uh, could be the person that kind of thought democracy might be something that was interesting to try. So as he was was figuring out what it meant to be a politician and all that, he went to Egypt um, because Egypt is a storied civilization. It's a good good place to go to see how they do things. And they went over lots of stuff. One of the things that they went over was their ancient history, which is where he got the story of Atlantis from. Oh, and then then the Egyptian 
Egyptian priest told him that this happened 9,000 years before they're telling him. So you, you take 600 BCE, you add 9,000 years to it, you get 9,600 BCE. So it's all based on Plato's writing. He's just right. doing the math of, right. of and the timeline. Is- so he's just kind of retelling the story of Solon going over to Egypt. And but that's how he gauges when Atlantis was written. Yeah. Because right. that's that's the timeline that was given to, to Solon by the Egyptians that he then yeah. brought back and told to Plato. The Sabians. These were the Sabians who told him this. Sure. Yeah. I don't really know that, but yes. <laughs> I'm gonna say that's right. It, I don't know. I, I have not heard that word. Or the those. four or the forebearers of the Sabians who told him this. I like the word forebearer. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of Halo. Oh, big time. Forerunner is what Forerunner, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. All right. So we got the timeline down, right? But what took out Atlantis? Okay. Well, I want to hear what he thinks. Big question. You know, we have tools today that we didn't even have 10 years ago. Any of us now can be satellite archaeologists, and we can go on Google Earth, and, and we can see images with um, either 30-meter or 10-meter resolution, which is really good uh, resolution. When you look at the uh, JPL pictures, especially when they are to the east of where this Rishat structure is in Mauritania, you can see the runoff of water, um, massively, massive runoff of water from this location to the sea. Um, also. Mauritania exports hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of salt every year. And when you get deeper into Central Africa, Mali, um, some of those other places, Chad, uh, there's salt everywhere. Well, well, all salt is sodium chloride, and all sodium chloride comes from the sea. So we know that those places were underwater. When you add all that together, you look at the visual evidence, it looks like a tsunami. So So I I don't know if that's necessarily right, that old salt comes from the sea. I don't think that's right. Well, it's definitely not right. Now, the majority of salt does come from the sea, but it's like ancient salt. So like a lot of salt mines and stuff like that, there was a sea there at one point, but no, not all salt comes from the sea. It's totally wrong. Okay. All right. That's what I thought. I was like, that doesn't seem right to me. No. Because there's like natural salt licks all over the place. Yeah. And and the other, so the issue that I had with it was that the, the main thrust of his argument there was that he looked at Google Earth. Right. And thought that it looked like water got washed out. Yeah. So that's not the most compelling geological evidence to me. Yeah. It's interesting that he doesn't like Graham's theory if he likes Graham so much. Yeah. I mean, he does have like a, a few issues with Graham, I think, but he... He basically expresses like his thoughts about Graham. It's like Graham is the guy who got me into this. Right. Like, yeah. He, he read Graham and was like, "This is awesome." Yeah. But you got to separate yourself. Yeah. You can't. You, you can't be a a Graham you cuck, dude. You gotta. Yeah. You gotta <laughs> go your own way. You do gotta go your own way in this world for sure. Yeah. Well, that's just an interesting. It, I'm so he's saying that it could have been taken out by by the sea. Yeah, but what he's saying that it but was not it was in the Great Flood. Yeah, he doesn't talk anything about the the Great Flood that you're referring to. He's okay. he's saying there was like some sort of tsunami, some sort of natural separate, yeah. right? But it was very, it. it was isolated. It wasn't like this worldwide thing. It was just him. It was just Atlantis, or at least destroyed. the region. The right, region. yeah. So going back to the to the contemporary evidence, though, right? Because we are wanting to treat Plato as history, number one, and then number yeah. two, like who else was talking about this that that could potentially corroborate this from Plato's time. That's interesting. The only one that I've really heard is Solon and, and uh, Plato. So there are others talking about Atlantis. Yeah. He found He found another guy that was talking about Atlantis. Okay, cool. Herodotus was really the first um, uh, person in Western society that tried to write down history. 
and he wrote this thing called The Histories. And the first third of the book is he just kind of did a brain dump, uh, like a travelogue of everything that the Greeks knew about the world and what everything was called and who everybody was. And then the second two thirds is he write down what was going on, the, the, the war with the Persians, all that stuff. In that first third, he says, you know, if you go to Egypt and then you go west for 10 days, you run into these, to these people that call themselves the Atlanteans. Then if you go 10 days more, you run into more people that call themselves the Atlanteans. Hmm. And that, that pattern follows. Herodotus tells us these people are weird. And he doesn't, he doesn't talk about them a lot. He talks about them in two different paragraphs right on top of each other. He says that they lived on top of salt piles, that uh, they would tell you their name, but they wouldn't let you write it down. They refused to record their history. Uh, they didn't dream, whatever that means. Strange. Uh, and, they were ve- and they were vegetarians. And they spent their days cursing at the sun. So it was Herodotus. Oh, I David, I don't, I, you know, I've read some Herodotus. I don't remember reading about Atlantis. Yeah, so uh, his histories, the the histories of Herodotus were. I have it on my shelf. (laughs) Do you? I do. Weirdo. Uh, They were written around 430 BC and are uh, considered the founding work of history in Western literature. Yeah, Uh, no, he he is considered like the first historian of humans. And well, the reason why you might have missed it, Chris, is because apparently it's two paragraphs, but he does mention it. But I thought the description of Atlanteans was also interesting. They don't dream and they spend their time yelling at the sun. Now, the time yelling at the sun is actually pretty interesting. If you do kind of consider them a people who were destroyed by an intergalactic solar system event, then cursing at the sun makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, Wait, is this going back to Graham? This is going back to Graham because it would have been a meteorite that caused the great flooding during the Ice Age, which is happening 10,800, 9,600 BC at this time. I guess potentially they would have to tie all that together, though. Wait, but it when it hit, because I don't know Graham's, Graham's uh, story that well. So the meteorite hits, they would have to have enough time to get mad at the meteorite. Wouldn't that just immediately cause flooding everywhere? No, they, w- they would have. I mean, they would have seen this thing coming for months, probably. Okay. Where my head was going, honestly, yeah. was uh, aliens. They were really mad at their alien uh, forebearers or whatever, uh, uh-huh. and, and were screaming at them. Uh, or the gods. That, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's an interesting. Well, right. The, the sun yeah. was the god. Yeah. you know, they're, they're Everything screaming was the subservient to the sun god mm-hmm. for the vast majority of human civilization yeah so i don't know that those were my head was i was like oh aliens it's got to be aliens. i like mine better i well that's because you don't like aliens as much, apparently. <laughs> i don't know why you don't like aliens all right all right all right, all right. so what else do we got what all else right we got? so the the reshat re- re- structure i can't say this word i like reshat reshat i want to yeah. say rorschach is the problem that's terrible Th- that's Go. not what it is uh, but the Rishat structure, or is there any evidence, right, of like other structures or buildings? If this was an advanced right. civilization, there should be something there. Uh, and there's the short answer is there's not. But right. David gets into his explanation. OK. Were there any remnants of structure or anything like that left? So um, we found whales. So we have non-fossilized whales from the whale bones from the time period. So, so we know that the ocean made it that far. Okay. Also, I love the fact that he's like, "Did you find structures? Well, we found whales. Like, well, that's not a we structure. Found, <laughs> we found whale bones all over the place. 
<laughs> Did you yeah, find gold? A, no, I found they, a lot of flowers, though. It's like the, the they stuff. take the whale bones and make it into a building. <laughs> Why are you telling me this? Um, when it comes to what's physically there, there is it's all bedrock at this point. But there's one of the guys I work with. His name is David Hansen, and he he was there last year. And I'm actually funding an expedition. He's going back next month. What we're gonna find is the agriculture, and we have found two spots. And uh, we're actually—I have—I've had a, a, a geologist work with me, and, and that this—that person is also a geochemist. So we're gonna collect some of the samples, but they're like 80% sure. You know, no, none of these guys will commit to anything until they physically see it. But it looks like salt evaporate. So we're gonna—we're gonna have the agriculture piece um, that's gonna marry up to um, what we're told about Atlantis, and that's gonna be the piece that because everyone wants to see something. Just like so he thinks that they're going to essentially find like proof of like irrigation and, right. and agriculture and things like that. Biomarkers for a lot mm-hmm. of agricultural like activity. Exactly. He also right. says that he's funding this guy to go out there. So I'm a little curious what that looks like. Here, my guess is that he is paying for some guy's plane ticket to go and start digging in, in this place in the in the Sahara. Essentially. Um, essentially, I think that's what's happening because this does not sound incredibly academic, especially because this guy has himself like david has no credentials at all he was in the right. military that was it yeah so interesting this is the i uh, what if he finds something though oh then I, I would actually be very happy i think it would be really cool if this was what plato was talking about would that be insane <laughs> that would be wild that would be insane hopefully I mean, we would get some real uh archaeologists out there start well, figuring out what the heck's going on and and like you said too that is also how we found Troy. So like, I'm not totally against the idea. Like it, yeah. it is kind of badass. We like, we use these puzzle pieces from this like old story that was passed down and we were able to find what they were actually talking about. Like, that's cool. It, like 75% of our science and history is built on old, rich British dudes stumbling around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just walking around, seeing what's so- up. Yeah, just stumbling around, dude, just like screwing things up, killing people and discovering things. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, Chris, next up, you're going to like this one, I think, because this is where it gets a little Grammy. He talks about natural disasters being a cycle and how we yes. can be sort of a cycle. So this may actually tie in with your theory that this is what Graham was talking about. as well. Right. Well, he says it happened in a day and a night. And I think that's consistent with what we're seeing. I, I mean, I, it, it, it was some massive event. And, and everywhere you look, you see signs of some type of cataclysm. You, you see these buildings, nothing to do with Atlantis, but you look in Egypt and you look in um, Peru, you see these buildings with massive stones, hundreds of tons, and, and they're all tipped over. You know, it looks like something knocked them over. So it has to be something on a massive global scale. There's a lot of theories that every 12,000 years something like that happens. I don't. I, I think if we can establish that this one happened, I, I think that lends a lot more credence to actually research this stuff for real and get more people looking at it. Um, because if if it is twelve thousand years, you know, this was eleven thousand six hundred years ago, so that the clock's ticking, if you know what I mean. And, and we're getting close to um, that cycle if that cycle is right. Which that, that's Graham. That's Graham. That's okay. Yeah. The the twelve thousand year cycle. Yeah. It's very much Graham. It's like twelve fifteen for him. I was I was thinking it sounded like Graham. My only yeah. experience with Graham was the episode we did. Um, but uh, he he doesn't mention him by name. Yeah. He also he's very careful not to step on anyone else's toes either because he will stay grounded in what he's doing. Right, and he's like, "This is what I'm doing." Other people say that stuff. I don't really know, but this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. 
So he doesn't well, go that's full. A good, that's good for this world, though. It's very, it, it's, but it doesn't yeah, happen a, a lot. <laughs> right. So. Right. Yeah. No, but, but that's yeah. a good thing to do. Like, don't get out of your lane, bro. Well, and that's what we always talk about, too, is like the yes and of it all. And yeah. he is not playing yes and. And, and here's yeah. a quick clip just to show how he's avoiding going like full on crank about Atlantis. Okay. Edgar Casey, the late great prophet, wrote several books about Atlantis, David. And, uh, you know, the, he's very kind of similar with some of the things you've been doing. Have you read any of his works? Uh, I have. Re I, I read his works a while ago. I'm familiar with him. I've watched many, many a TV show. Uh, some, some of which you were on, by the way. Yeah, him. yeah. You know, I don't have – I'm familiar with him. I, again, I, since I'm going back to the source material and push, he, he would still be a secondary source. He's a guy like me or like you who's – who's read Plato and then is adding his own voice to it, but but he didn't see it. He didn't see the scroll from Solon. He didn't talk to Critias. All right, so no no Atlantis prophets who right, are psychically yeah. knowing information yeah. avoids it. Yeah, no, but he did a very good job, very diplomatic. It, he was diplomatic throughout the entire thing because here's the thing about George. He will always try and force crank on you. Right, yeah. No matter what your topic is, you know, yeah, like when he was right. talking to Graham, he's like, what do you think about the hollow earth? And Graham's like, what, what are you talking about? Dude? Yeah. I don't want to talk about the hollow earth. What are yeah. you talking about? Yeah. No matter who it is. Like if it's, you're yeah. talking about Bigfoot, he's going to be like, what do you think about aliens and Bigfoot? Well, and that's always why, you know, people call them like pseudo archaeologists or something. I always think that's like the wrong terminology for what they are. I, I like the term armchair historian or armchair, uh, archaeologists like you use mm -hmm. because like some of the work they're doing does lead to real stuff well with with this guy i think specific i don't know because like i i love armchair i think armchair historian describes him i think computer chair historian is actually more appropriate in computer today's day and age historian <laughs> because he's 100%. talking about like google earth like he's doing his little investigation i mean like you know we we have a love-hate relationship with the internet but Internet is good sometimes. Well, and for for this guy, because like things can go awry, obviously, and we talk about this a lot too. But like, you need to always touch the grass. Right. I have a hard time seeing anything bad happening from this guy's love of Atlantis, right? Yeah. His research into it. He's so it's like, yeah, it. you know, you're having a good time. If anything, he might find something out in those plateaus of Mauritania, dude. Maybe he does, or whoever he's sending out there, whoever right. he's funding. Yeah. So I I was I got a little excited in the middle of this, Chris, because he brings up the Piri Rias map as well. There we go, baby. Come on, let's go. I know you're a big fan. And when we did our other episodes and I looked into the Piri Rias, I only looked at one half of the map. Repeat, baby. Repeat. I didn't bother looking at the Africa half. That yeah, dude. That's that's the most important half. He looked at the Africa half. It wasn't relevant to that conversation. He looked at the other half. Let's go. Is I, I bought in 1995. We probably all bought Graham Hancock's book, Green Friend of the Gods, brilliant book. It opens yeah, yeah, yeah. with the discussion of the Piri's map. And then on the bottom, it seems to show Antarctica without ice, and it seems to show the continental shelf between South America and Antarctica, which would have been visible if the water were lower, if we were, if we were part of an ice age. And then I looked on the right-hand side. And there's Africa is depicted on the map. And, and this map was supposedly put together through older source material and ancient maps. On the African side is this kooky little city um, surrounded by a ring of water. 
in Western Africa exactly where the Rishat structure is. So that was interesting. Okay, that's weird. So Chris, I pulled up the Piri Rias map again, and I zoomed in on the little sliver of Africa that you can see, because last time we were talking about Antarctica. Had that's nothing right. To do with this. Yeah, South, South America and Antarctica. And I found what he was talking about. So Chris, Holy if you look cow. right here. Yes. There's, there's a little a city. city inside a ring. Inside a ring. That is supposed to be water. Like these are the tributaries. And that would kind of be where Mauritania is. And that's sort of, and if you also look at a map of where the Rishat structure is, that's sort of around where that would be. That's madness. <laughs> that's kind of fun, dude. That's madness. Yeah. I'm going to put this one in the show notes too. Y'all are going to want to see this. <laughs> this is madness. I was Did listening this guy to this. find something? I don't know, man. If this guy finds something, I'm going to flip out. Well, we're doing we're doing an app. We'll we'll do an app if this guy finds something. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So Atlantis is supposed to be an island, though, right? And this is not an island. Yes, but this is interesting. This is an interesting synchronicity. Yeah. So I this one's weird. I'm giving it to him. Weird. It it could be pure synchronicity, but it is an interesting synchronicity. Yeah, that's weird. Mm -hmm. So he, he continues on on the Piri Rias. He's got a lot more deeds. Um, and it has uh, a river leading up to it, uh, which is blocked with by a bunch of mud, which is something that Plato tells us it happened. Uh, he's drawn giant pictures of elephants on the map, right in the same location. Plato tells us that elephants were abundant. He's drawn green mountains to the north. Uh, where the Rishab structure is. Plato tells us they were beautiful green mountains. And, and all of this is where today is nothing but the Sahara Desert and sand. It's, it's a miserable, it's not really practical. So it was based on a map that, that showed what, what was going on there some time ago. And it seems to have captured the memory of the city of Atlantis surrounded by a ring of water in the where it today is the Western Sahara. I'm totally convinced by the Perry Rice map, dude. <laughs> Did that I'm, get totally you? I'm totally convinced by it now, dude. This map is based off a super old map. Yeah. This map is based off a super old map. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it, dude. This is an old map that this man stole weird things from, dude. Things we weren't supposed to know about. We weren't supposed to know about these things, dude. This is stuff for, like, the Vatican, and this is stuff for, like, the secret societies, dude. We're not supposed to know about this stuff. Dude, pure, this is pure knowledge from our ancient forebears, dude, that they weren't able to suppress. Where did this admiral find these maps? That's a different story. That's a different story. That's outside of I'm, today. I'm freaking out. Dude. The Piri, the Piri Rias's origins are outside of the, the scale of this episode. I, I'm freaking out, dude. This there's, is weird. There's a lot more I want to get to, but George immediately jumps in and has to ruin it with the. Uh, hey, did aliens do that though? Did they do the Piri Rias? Oh no, dude. You're right. Always with a little crankery, dude. He's got it. He can't stop himself. Could that map have been taken by extraterrestrials from above? <laughs> um, well, Plato doesn't mention extraterrestrials. He mentions some kooky things. Uh, so it seems more like this map really was put together from ancient maps of people going around and doing the best they could to record um, the geography of where the land and water come together. He's got it. He can't stop himself. Dude, 
but I'm telling you, Mr. Edwards is an absolute king of diplomacy. <laughs> he is. He does a good job at it. They do a, a lot job. of kooky stuff, but no aliens. Who knows? Who really knows? Those those Alanians, they're kooky. Well, he, he throughout the entire episode, too, he's constantly talking about how much he likes George, where he mentions, oh, I listen to so much Coast to Coast. And, you know, I watched so many, some of these things of this guy that you mentioned, and some of them you were involved in because you're amazing, George. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily my area of study. That's not what I know. Right. So right. he's he's good at it. If you ever go on Coast to Coast, this is how you handle George. Yeah, this is how you handle George. You puff him up a little bit, but get back to your talking points. Exactly. You stick to the script. So, yep. Chris, I told you that this was a unifying theory of all of the different Atlantis uh, theories, right? All the different right. thoughts of where Atlantis could be. So let's get into how that is, right? How did he do this? Because yeah, how did he unify the various factions? Because all those places are different places, right? Some people say this England. Is, some people say the Atlantic Ocean. Some people say Africa. Apparently, this is William Wallace uniting the Scottish tribes. That is exactly what David Edwards is about to do. That's right. That Atlantis had the capital city, which was um, governed by King Atlas. So we have the Atlas Mountains in this place. But there are also nine other provinces. And the provinces were ruled by um, uh, five sets of male twins. And he gives us names of the of the twins. Which, first off, sorry to interrupt, five sets of male twins, that is so weird. That's really weird. How do you get all these twins? I don't know. And we tried to look at the names of those twins and see if any of the linguistically translate into names that we have uh, today. And, and they, they all don't because there's, there's, you know, language is a funny thing, but some of them do. And so some of them speak to places where people have found um, what they think is, you know, uh, ancient civilizations. And some of them said, hey, this is Atlantis. It's not Atlantis like with a capital A, but it's Atlantis, the kingdom. It's one of the provinces. For, for example, the eldest of the fifth set of twins, his name was Azores. Azores, there you go. There you go. And some people like the Azor Mountains, and they say they found things there, and maybe they move them above water. And I say, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, th- th- this theory unifies everything. So basically, it's there's a bunch of mini Atlantises across right. the Earth. Right. So no one's totally wrong. Right. 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 Yeah, but, but Rishat structure is probably the capital. Yeah, that's the capital of Atlantis. But then there's the kingdom of Atlantis, which is very spread right. out. Yeah. And he continues on about this with uh, with one more clip here. Uh, Santorini um, or the Minoans. One of the one of the princes was named uh, Menesis, which is a lot like Minoans. And, and there's, a, there's a deep bull culture and diving islands associated with that. So there are places, there's four or five places I think um, are pretty solid candidates. And then for places oh, like for, for this one called um, Evermont. That was one of the princes. That sounds like Avalon, um, which was a mythical island that was up around, you know, Britain and Ireland and all that. That a lot of people like for Atlantic. So okay. the the theory okay. being was that number one, it could be multiple provinces, but the number two, after the cataclysm, these leaders could have left and gone to other places and started like different, you know, colonies or whatever. Right. And that, that is also, uh, you know, spiritually an heir of Atlantis. Right. The children of Atlantis. So that's that's his unifying theory is that all these places that's are related to Atlantis in some way, even if they're not the the proper capital, which was at this reshot structure in the Sahara. 
Well, and Graham talks a little bit about these these beings, you know, they were humans, but they got considered gods eventually that like went to, you know, went throughout the world and like brought civilization to these various areas. So it's kind of yeah. a connective tissue there as well. Yeah, because it very well could have been the Atlanteans who were going out and, and they may have been advanced against everyone else right, right. at the time yeah, but then right. they go exactly. and they spread their knowledge yeah and they're yeah they show yeah. they show somebody how to irrigate and terrace and you know do basic agriculture things it immediately changes these people's outlook and how what is able to happen afterwards everything that's able to build once you start agriculture and especially if you're like kind of jump starting it with ideas right this is a village and this is how you keep track of how much food you have and this is how you do animal husbandry and stuff like that so it, it starts to it starts to have like a snowball effect yeah it's you know like all we really needed was one guy to tell us to wash our hands uh whenever right. we you know do surgery and look what happened there man there just you a little, go just a little nudge and they called that man crazy <laughs> They called them crazy. They sure they called did. them crazy. Well, Chris, we do have one caller that I wanted to include for today's episode. Let's do and it. And this is a caller who says that he was there when Atlantis was destroyed. Had to get one in. You got to get a crank in, dude. Had to get one in. Past life regression done. And I was brought back to Atlantis. And I was shown how Atlantis was actually destroyed. Now, what's your take then, Jim? What happened? Well, so, uh, sorry, I don't know if you could hear that, but he said he had a past life regression done. Right. That's how we found this out. Well, what happened was Atlantis was basically powered by some kind of crystal matrix that powered it, not like the energy sources we have today. Now, there was a famous guest from the Montauk Project that wrote the books, Chris Preston Nichols. He was the head scientist at that time of its destruction. And I was his assistant scientist. I knew him well in this lifetime as well. So basically what happened was I was yelling at him saying, be careful how you put those crystals in because something's going to go wrong. And then I saw the mushroom cloud and I saw the whole destruction. Wow. Of the so him and his buddy who he knows in today's life. And then he did his past life regression. And then they were both top scientists at Atlantis and they blew the whole place up by accident. Oops. That sucks. Oop. These crystals, they just don't make them like they used to. They don't, dude. You know, you you twist the crystal the wrong way, the whole city goes kaboom. That's insane, dude. Those crystals. You got to watch out for those crystals. What a madman. That, that was a madman. I and the thing is that guy was dead serious. Oh, dude, he was this. There was no kidding in his voice. Well, he believed every word he was saying. And it's another great example of everyone's past life being like they're someone really important. Like he just happens in his past life to be the guy who was standing next to the guy that blew up Atlantis. Yeah. One of, the, one of the head crystal scientists of the Atlantean Empire, Paul. <laughs> he was the number two crystal guru of Atlantis. Yeah. Now, you know who you're talking to, Paul? He was a big deal back in the day. Big deal. Big now, deal. maybe, and I, sorry, I'm just thinking through this now. Maybe we're all just part of the Godhead. And when we do yeah. a past life regression, we're just connecting with all these other lives. Taking a piece of the Godhead. That's, yeah. that is, 
good headcanon, dude. That's kind of fun. That's very, very good headcanon. And that's why everyone's a pharaoh. Right. That's exactly right. Because you're you're naturally achieve somebody who had like a very interesting life, maybe. Yeah, right. So and that's we what you kind of want to go see. Right. We were all yeah. pharaoh. And we got the most I, interesting one. I am pharaoh. I am pharaoh. And immediately after this, Chris, that's uh, that's almost that's where the interview ends. And then George Nori reads the entirety of Telltale Hearts for half an hour. For half an hour, half an he hour. Reads Telltale Heart. He reads Telltale Heart. Do you want to this... hear a little clip? I absolutely do. Okay. So he just ends. It's like everyone's been asking me to do this. So I'm going to read you all a Telltale Heart. People live have on been it. asking me to do this for decades, and I have refused. I was so confused that why this was happening. Until this random September night. True. Nervous. Very, very dreadfully nervous. I had been in Elm. But why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. I just had to throw that in, dude, because that was so weird. That's madness. Yeah, he reads the whole thing. He reads the whole tale. Very good book, though, dude. Some of Edgar Allan Poe's best. Yeah. So that uh, I I had to include that because it was so weird. But uh, that was our Atlantis episode, Chris. On a scale of one to five nuclear crystals, what do you what do you give our uh, our, our show here today? I'm gonna give him a four nuclear crystals, dude. I thought he smashed it out of the park. I think that's fair. I'm also gonna give him four. I think David Edwards, he's a fun guy. Uh, he, he really likes history. You can tell just by listening to him. And I think he's having a really great time, yeah. uh, you know, figuring out what happened with Atlantis and I support his journey. I God, don't. I hope he finds something out in Mauritania, dude. What if he does, man? I like, we're going to tell y'all if he does, you'll find out. I'll we're we're going to, yeah, we're going to find out for y'all and we will do an episode. If this man finds evidence of civilization out in the plains of Mauritania and there is a map where the exact point with a city on it, dude, it's done. It's over. Atlantis is real. Dude, and that's that's going to be what we break with our Thursday drops. So the moment that that comes out, we're releasing an episode. Right. It's happening. That's exactly right. As soon as we know, yeah, it's going to, if it's a Sunday at 2 a.m., you're getting an episode. Emergency podcast. Drop. Emergency podcast. That's exactly right. <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for listening. It has been a pleasure having you listen to us talk as always. Uh, My name is Paul. We drop episodes every Thursday. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. And that's all we have for you today. Hey, it's Chris. I just want one, just an editor's note. Yeah. I haven't received a tape record of this episode yet, Paul. No, I want somebody to put this on a cassette tape and share it with their friend that way. That's what I want. You, and I want yeah. photographic evidence of it. You can find us online somehow. You have our permission to put us on a cassette tape and start mailing it out. I'll accept a CD. But oh, I burn want a CD. <laughs> and the person who does it on a record, you're going to get something. The vinyl. Yes. If you get us on vinyl, you will receive something from us. I don't know what it is. And it probably really won't be worth a lot because it'll be like our signatures and that they're not worth anything. But you'll have that. But you'll have. And that's what's important. So anyways, all conspiracy all the time. Later.